Welcome to the Beyond the Easy podcast with your host, Natasha Stevens. When she isn't speaking herself, you'll hear from some of the globe's most unique and powerful people who have pushed past perceived limitations and are exceeding societal expectations. Our niche is simple, people. Our dynamic guests share their stories filled with content that synergistically bridges the divide between us and them. And we're inviting you in. We are a blended tribe. Thanks for tuning in and catching the subscribe vibe. So I was just hanging out, you know, here in Miami and strolling around during the pandemic, looking for some place to lay my head. And boy, did I find a place. Peter Green is a powerhouse. Peter comes to Beyond the Easy. And I am so grateful that he is here with us today. He is no joke. He is professional. He is personable. He is knowledgeable. And he is kind. With over 11 years of comprehensive industry experience in the luxury residential market in Miami, I'm going to share with you just a few of Peter's stats. He has sold over $100 million through strategic and collaborative partnerships in the space in which he operates. He's worked with Fortune's International Realty, which is a division of Fortune International, in promoting new development sales to the global buyer's market. He launched the One Hotel and Home South Beach and One Rooftop. Now, if you don't know what that is, I suggest that you look it up. It is the go-to place. He did that in his portfolio with Leaf Rack Organization and Starwood Capital Group. You have to know who they are, right? He spearheaded a national alliance between Town Residential and Fortune International Group in 2015, successfully identifying brand partnerships. He works in conjunction with a top performing real estate team with over $200 million in exclusive listings throughout Miami Beach alone. Peter's impressive track record with a specialization in real estate, luxury real estate, puts him at the top of his game. Peter brings a wide background with a personal and dedicated touch to each client that he serves. And he happens to be the only realtor within his area in Miami that is fluent in Brazilian Portuguese. Working with clients in Florida and around the globe from Turkey to Brazil, Spain, Italy, Argentina, and Mexico, just to name a few, Peter Green has made a massive footprint in the lives of many. To say that his clients are happy and so is his team is an understatement. Let Peter upgrade you because he definitely knows what he's doing. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. You don't want to miss this at all. 
I am so pleased to welcome Peter Green to Beyond the Easy. He's taking us to another level, fluent in three languages as well. He has a few tips up his sleeve to help realtors and investors, of which he is, stay on top of their business and sell, 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 buy, buy, buy. Welcome, Peter. I am so glad that you're here. Peter Green has so much experience in this niche market, but there's so much more to him. And I'm just happy to be with him tonight. How are you doing, Peter? I'm doing excellent. Can you hear me well? I can hear you very, very well. Um, Thank you so much for coming on Beyond the Easy. I know what a busy week it has been for you. Actually, a busy year and a half, actually. Um, You've done so much, and I'm so intrigued by your story. And for you to reach the heights that you've reached and to make the launches that you've made in the Miami area and internationally just blow my mind. You know, I know so many realtors. I know so many real estate developers. And I have not seen anything come out of them the way that they're coming out of you. And you've been at this for 13 years. So I want to know what got you started in real estate and why Miami and not New York? Well, listen, thanks. First of all, I just want to say thank you again for having me. I really appreciate this, um, the opportunity. And I'll tell you, um, well, basically, I'm from New York City. And I came down to Miami and just to kind of sum it up, uh, I wanted to be in Miami and, and do something that was exciting and uh, dealing with the lifestyle and, you know, essentially a, a business where I can de- interact with different people, utilize language. Um, so I landed in real estate after three years of being in Miami. I've been here for just, uh, just under, well, I've been here for 15 years and I've been at real estate for over 12 years. And what really it kind of stumbled upon it. Uh, somebody told me I was good with people. I was doing another project and they said, you know, I was helping them out, little assistant work, you know, some of the clients going around. And I started real estate just uh, on the fact that, you know, the sky is the limit. It's a people business. Uh, and it's, it's just constantly deals and you're selling Miami, uh, you're selling a lifestyle, I'm doing luxury real estate. And I just found, I just found that really fascinating. Um, and, I just like when I kind of made a list of all the things that I really enjoy to do uh, when I was doing other businesses, trying to figure out what I wanted to do that I was like passionate or what I really enjoyed. Uh, and of course, uh, you can make the income, right? Real, a real estate having it. And, and again, I stumbled across real estate. Uh, and it was funny because, you know, being um, when I started, I started at the worst time one of the worst times in history to get involved in business or, or, or to work was the, uh, the, the recession of 2008. I started essentially in March of 2008. People thought I was crazy. So that's really how I started. Um, I started at, at that point and for those reasons. So when you started, you wait, hold on. Let me make sure I'm hearing this. You started real estate in an economic depression. Yeah. I started in the one in 2008. So how, so how, so how well did you do? I mean, did well, you... yeah. that's, that's a great question. I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I, I signed up with a small brokerage firm in Brickell, um, uh, through an attorney actually that was from Brazil. 
and another attorney that was a commercial broker, and they opened this small brokerage company, just essentially out of a law firm, uh, as law firms sometimes do because they're handling closings, and they gave a very good commission split, um, and didn't really give marketing or, or, or they, they they gave good support. They were nice, but I didn't know what I was doing, and the whole thing was is getting leads, right? Because without leads in real estate, you're kind of dead. If you're not either having listings or buyers or, or doing leasing transactions, you're kind of, you know, you're in a standstill. So, so what happened was I, there was a, I was living in a, in a, in a luxury residence uh, in Miami Beach with this whole group that worked for this company called condo.com by coincidence. And I was always like friendly with these guys. And they said, and, and they said, oh, you know, we do lead generation, digital marketing. This is back, you know, in... 2008, when not even Zillow was, it was like the, the, the inception of Zillow. And so these guys were kind of like a, com a competitor. They bought condo.com back then for like a million dollars just for the domain. And they were just, anyway, they were pumping out leads and they were giving me, all I had to do was pay them a referral fee. So there was no like sign up cost. Like nowadays you want leads, you got to spend 500,000, 5,000, whatever it is, depending on the zip code. I was just naming my zip code. Because I think I was in Brickell and downtown. They were just giving me like anywhere from five to fifteen leads a day. That's unheard of. Zillow doesn't. You're kidding me. Zillow doesn't give you fifteen leads per month. I was getting fit, so I was just like, I had a very good year the first year. Even not even knowing what I was really doing, but just from the sheer just hustle of the fact of dealing with clients that wanted to buy. Because it was a recession, it was a buyer's market. So the market was recessed. The condos were like short sale, REO. People were unloading because they knew the market, you know? So there was a lot of activity. And then there was also a lot of people leasing like there always is. There's always a renter, right? So that's, that's the way I, I, I started out in real estate. Um, and, um, you know, it was exciting. But, you know, there's a lot of things that I realize now that I do. And we can get into that. Um, but that's how I started. Wow, you know, that's <laughs> that's insane. Um, in a good way, in such a good way. And I, you know, I you know, I always pictured you, you know, since I've known you, Peter, I'm like, okay, yeah, Peter's just been like sitting up on his sofa watching property brothers, watching million dollar listing, and decided, you know, I'm watching million dollar million dollar listing. I can go do that too. But to hear the backstory and hear how many leads you were getting at the inception of Zillow and not having to pay for them, that's unheard of. That is absolutely unheard of. I've never explained. I mean, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Well, um, get their name out. And not a lot of people were so much involved with, you know, online. And I don't know, it was kind of like a new company and it it was just kind of like the, the start of like this buyer lead generation online, you know, where. Yeah. And you got the lead on it for sure. Yeah. Like you, you definitely got the lead on it and you got a leg up. Um, so, you know, Peter, I've always been, um, I've, I've been dibbling dabbling in real estate, but what always frightened me was that exam. Right. Um, is that exam really that hard to you? Was it, was it, did you just ace it or, or what was that like? Well, the exam basically, um, is an exam that you, you have to study like any other test. It's not a, uh, an exam where you can just study the night before and pass it because there are laws and practices and, and certain rules in, in Florida that 
you need to understand and know what you're, that differ from other states. The other difference is, is that you know there are laws and practices and and that are that are affiliated with this test because um, in Florida the agent write the contract. The agent writes the contract, um, whereas in other states or I don't know. I'll give you an example. I'm from New York. In New York, it's different, where the the contract's negotiated, but the but the contract's actually written by an attorney. So you're not actually writing the contract in the terms and, and, and going after specific legalities or conditions. You essentially bring them to a price. Whereas in Florida, you have to write contracts and you have to be involved in that. And so there, the test is a little bit harder. But it's like anything. If you put, I think you know, if you put like a solid two months into it and you really sit down you do like a quiz every other day and then you, you give yourself a few days to really study there's about you know it, it can take you from start to finish maybe like a month month and a half it's not a long thing so if I came to your office tomorrow um, during lunch and I said hey Peter um, I'm, I, I want to I want to actually shadow you for like two months I just want to shadow you I want to be an apprentice um, I want to come alongside of you and watch you do deals and learn about how real estate is done, um, especially at your level. Is that something that you would allow someone to do and or your company would allow you to have an apprentice that is desiring to take the test in two months, but they want to have that experience, not selling the homes or anything like that or the commercial buildings, but just as like an apprentice, someone that could just follow you around and learn from you, sit in the office and understand the language and the jargon of real estate and how deals are done. Um, and certainly, obviously, sign an NDA, clearly, right? But someone that would, you would just take under your wing and say, hey, you know what, Natasha? I'll help you. And then when you get ready to take your test, I'll, I'll cheer for you. I'll, I'll help you study for your test, but I can't take the test for you. You got to do that for yourself. Is that something that's possible? Yeah, of course. Of course. Awesome. So I'll be at your office in the morning. So now you are with Fortune International and that is huge. So can you, a lot of people don't know what that is. And then there are other people that are blown away by, by that group. Can you please explain the dynamics of your real estate group? And can you elaborate on the experience within that group in Miami? In terms of, in what sense? Like, for example, there are some realtors that have, um, that have a group and they have offices in maybe one city. Some of them have offices in a few cities. But Fortune International has offices all around the planet. <laughs> so I guess what I'm asking you is, with the within the dynamics of your group with Fortune International, who do, who makes the decisions as to who gets what leads? Well, I mean, you know, Fortune International Realty is is it, it's interesting. I mean, they they don't distribute leads, firstly, um, and that's the thing. Uh, most real estate companies do not give you leads it, it, unless it's like a small company that uh, promises leads. And then, you know, they're, they're, they're investing in digital marketing and, you know, they, they factored into the commission split, but fortune international is a big name. 
So what they expect is agents with experience and agents that do their own marketing because they use the name of Fortune Development. So they don't disseminate leads. It's really our responsibility to to generate leads. Um, and so, you know, that's that that's what it's about. I mean, can you get floor time? Can leads walk in? Yeah, that's one form of it. But you know, you're really responsible for marketing online or, you know, making you know cold calls or going after listings or doing mailings or whatever you want to do, networking or whatever you do or focusing on your referral, whatever it is that you bring in the clients you know got it so you've done so much so i want to know from you what is your most favorite project that you've worked on in the development space of real estate and why because i know about one hotel and the one rooftop yeah i mean yeah i mean i've worked on a i've worked on a well i've really worked on two projects um one overseas in brazil 57 Ocean, which is a high-end project last year where I was like a sales manager running sales in Sao Paulo. But then the other one was I worked at one hotel, which was on-site, where I worked with a developer only on the weekends, though. I didn't work full-time. I worked on the weekends because I was part of an international division of which during the week I was focusing on general, and sometimes I had to travel. So I couldn't, I didn't commit to the full-time project um, development role because... I also wanted to focus on my clients and I did general and so forth, you know? So there was, I, I, I did both. But one hotel was an amazing experience. It was cool. I mean, you know, it was Lafrac and Barry Sternlich, who's the CEO or the, of um, Starwood Capital Group, who was the inventor of the W. And the one hotel was the next brand after the W, which is about, you know, health and we- uh, wellness and, you know, uh, everything, you know, uh, green, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they did like, you know, they acquired the uh, the Gansborg Hotel and they, you know, Lafrac is a big developer from New York City who owns Lafrac. He's like, he's worth like six billion, he's a multi-billion. And then Barry Sternlich, who also is, who's on the hotel side. So these guys joined forces, Lafrac with the residences, Barry Sternlich with the hotel. And they invested about north of 300 million to totally gut this whole existing hotel, the Gansborg and convert it and connect it to the, to the Roni Palace, which is the residence that's an older building next to it. And part of the deal was to renovate that older existing residence and, you know, elevate the value of, of that um, residence that was connected to one. And they gave them access and so forth to, to utilize the amenities. And it was just a, it was an amazing project. It was 140 residences. They were short-term rentals. Um, you could rent out their condo hotel is what it was. And it was a high-end condo hotel, and it was going to be like a direct competitor of like the W, because it was you know you had your it was a, it was a, it was really nice. You had that rooftop um, uh, area, which is a rooftop pool, and they had a major events, and it's a hot spot. One hotel, you know, they had the um, celebrity chef um, who did craft. Um, I forgot his name, but uh, he was a major chef. Um, Tom uh, Calicchio. Tom Colicchio. Yeah, Tom Colicchio, exactly. At his restaurant, um, it was craft um, inside the one hotel. It was ridiculous. And it was just amazing. You just had like the rooftop. You had Tom Colicchio's restaurant downstairs and you had like this whole scene. And it was like they had all these illustrious events and it was like the new spot. And, you know, it was high end. Like, you know, units were starting at like 1.5 to the penthouse. It was like 30 million. 
and it attracted this crowd and it was fun. I worked there, you know, I did some deals. It was fun. Um, kind of caught the project towards the end. And, uh, and then, you know, I left and I've been working in general and I, then I got a, an offering to go to Brazil and I worked for 57 ocean, which is a super high end project where we were selling it's in Miami beach. It's going to finalize the construction at the end of the year. And, you know, we were, you know, just kind of, I was, I was working on that and, uh, I went to Brazil for a couple of months and it was tough sale. So I came back and just, you know, I've been just doing general right now because of the the market there's a lot of people coming from the northeast and so forth and buying so it's kind of yeah it's definitely a buyer's market right now and i'm sorry but you're being extra humble right now to even have your footprint on that project is huge and is massive so kudos to you for that you also peter though are the only licensed realtor in miami that is fluent in brazilian Portuguese so I need I need you I mean I know there's more but I mean you get called on a lot because of your experience in Brazil and having traveled to Brazil lived in Brazil worked in Brazil you have deals in Brazil and con you know also going along with Miami and I want to know how in the world did that happen when did you learn Portuguese how did you become fluent in it, in it and how has it impacted your business? Like when did this whole passion for Brazilian Portuguese start? Well, I mean, this whole passion for Brazil. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, first of all, I don't think I'm the only licensed agent. There are Brazilians, but I would, I would say that uh, I'm one of the Americans because I'm, you know, from New York that's licensed that, you know, that does real estate that speaks Portuguese as well. I would say that fluent Portuguese. Um, which is far and few, um, but how I got involved, um, you know, in, with Brazil is, is a long, it's a long story, but I'll sum it up. A good friend, a long time ago, high school, great friend who my best friends from Brazil grew up with him, went to college, uh, minored in Portuguese, just cause out of curiosity and wanting to learn another language. And he was my friend. I was around it. I kind of grew up with it, never understood it, focused on that minor in it. With, with economics, thinking I was going to maybe work for a Brazilian bank or something with business where I knew that like learning languages was important in college, you know, whether it's Spanish, some people were taking Chinese at that time, a while ago, and I took Portuguese and I thought maybe I'll do something with Brazil, my family has a business back then, and uh, the hotels, my dad was involved in and I, I ended up, you know, that way. And then I just kind of got passionate about it in college. I did a semester abroad uh, in Portugal. And then I did an internship one summer when I was in my you know, uh, junior year of college. And um, I just really, really wanted to learn Portuguese and, and master another language, kind of immersed myself in these cultures, um, kind of fell in love with it. Brazil, I just love Brazil. I have a lot of friends there. And I was able, and that's the other thing is like, you know, going back to that original question that you said about, you know, why did I get involved with real estate? Well, one of the things I wanted to do is be able to utilize my, my skills with Portuguese. I love speaking other languages. It's fun for me. I do. I enjoy it. Do it. And you got to do it sometimes in life what you enjoy, not just what you're told to do or what is supposed to be, right? So what happened was is that like I was like, okay, uh, you know, there's a big upside, right? Dealing with luxury and lifestyle, which I enjoy. You're dealing with people. 
which I relate to so many different types of people because I have so many different types of friends and, you know, kind of growing up and just living here in general. But then, of course, the, the other element of being able to utilize Portuguese because there's a lot of Brazilians down here buying and selling, and there are. And, and, I, and it's, it's like in 2010, Brazilians were 60% of the buyers. So that element of dealing with Brazil just really helped, or speaking Portuguese helped me. So that's what happened is that, you know, it was, it was a combination of, the, you know, the, the sales, I love sales, and then the language skills. So that's, that's how I got involved, and that's leading me up to today. Well, even till today, I still deal with Brazil all the time. That's what's up. That really is what's up. And you also speak Spanish. I also speak Spanish. And, you know, I work with people in my office from Argentina and Colombia and, you know, and just all day. I mean, a lot of the agents are from Argentina. Today, I was talking to somebody in Spanish and I'm like, you know, and, you know, my Portuguese is actually better than my Spanish. But, you know, I've come a long way. I think I can definitely communicate. I can, you know, handle deals and I negotiate. you know, I, I can talk to people. You know, I have a strong accent and I make mistakes, but, you know, I convey the message. So that's the most important thing, you know, you get things done and I can communicate and, you know, I obviously need to get better. I need to read more in Spanish, but that's, that's something that, you know, um, I'll, I'll apply. Absolutely. So let me ask you this, Peter, because um, it's real estate, you know, we can watch all of the different television shows, flip this, flip that. Um, we can even talk to realtors on the phone. We can hire realtors or ask them to be our agents and things of that nature um, to, to buy for us or to sell for us or to develop for us. But there are a lot of college kids that are coming out of school with some of the same skill sets that are transferable over to real estate. But then there's this gap and they're not even thinking, you know, I should be a real estate agent. I could actually sell and make a ton of money and make people extremely happy in their home or their work live space or whatever they're selling. And I think that a lot of them are missing it. They're just grabbing the business, maybe a little marketing, maybe a little communications, but what goes on inside of the mind of a realtor on a daily basis? Like how important is mindset and life coaching or just coaching for your life if you want to be a real estate agent? Like for your particular career, how important is mindset for you? Well, yeah, it's a, that's a great question. I mean, um, I personally think that, you know, during COVID it impacted many people in my group as well. And, and, and the main, and the main thing, it impacted me because it's, it's, it's a figure of guidance. You know, I think for every real estate person, I think for anybody, just in any business, you know, having a coach is like having some type of a mentor, some type of a psychologist, if you will, you know, somebody to, you know, to motivate you, somebody to keep you in line, somebody to challenge you, somebody to make sure that you're structured, you know, because, you know, um, I'll tell you, like, I mean, I didn't, I never really worked corporate America. I never really had a real nine to five serious job where I had a serious boss where I had reviews and, you know, so, you know, going back to that thing, you know, being busy, and chasing deals and, you know, running, you know, running around, you know, with the, with the chicken with his head cut off, um, 
sometimes could make things happen, but sometimes could be ineffective. So I think that how, you know, a coach, what it really impacted me is that it really helped me just be more structured, um, taught me to just kind of focus simultaneously on education, whether it's reading books, whether it's, you know, uh, listening to audio, you know, audible uh, tapes or videos or, or, or having, you know, weekly conference calls where you go over your goals and you continuously refine things, you know, and that doesn't just apply to real estate. I mean, you know, and we'll get into, you know, that, that, you know, another question about, you know, kind of the future. Um, but, but, but really like it, it really, it really helped me, you know, um, and I know what my, my point being, it helped me, but also anybody because of the structure, because of, you know, the mindset of, you know, business, real estate, anything, there's ups and downs, like life, right? And one of the things the coach does is, I, I feel, is that, you know, he helps you deal with situations. Because, you know, it, it's a coach, it's guiding you. You know, sometimes I, I feel like the coach, the support um, can be very imp important and, and vital in your career, you know? And, you know, also helps with strategy and, 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 and planning, right? Um, and all these things I mentioned that go into it. So what you're saying right now, I hope that the listeners are grabbing this because if you know anything about real estate is it can be slow and it can be extremely fast. And as Peter stated earlier in the episode here, he started this in the 20, the 2008 economic decline. And we have, we're in, we've been in a year where the economy has been up and down and up and down and everything dealing with the pandemic to being on lockdown to opening back up. It's been, you know, very challenging for a lot of people in any industry, no matter what it is that you're doing to get deals done or to even make money or to put food on their table. And I think it's important, like Peter is saying, to develop your, your self-leadership and develop your mindset so that you don't become the realtor that is grumpy or that takes everything personally or that doesn't follow up on your leads or doesn't work hard for your client because you haven't taken the time to work with a coach or to work with someone on your personal self-development. Is that what I'm hearing from you, exactly. Peter? But, right so it cuts down on the stress and 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 i found a phenomenon that happened um in this in this past year that while everything was tanking the real estate market was booming and i was like why is it coming out on top how are people finding money to buy these luxury homes or any home for that matter or land or anything like how is this happening and i guess my question to you is does it have anything to do peter with with mortgage lending and the and the the, the interest rate being so well, yeah, low you know, that definitely you know plays a role i mean if you look at like today's market what's going on and i'll talk about what i know because i'm a i'm a miami specialist and now i focus a little bit also in hollywood and broward too sometimes depending on the deal but you know 90 percent of the time i'm in miami uh, and, and basically what it is, is, is that firstly, COVID actually inadvertently helped Miami because unfortunately, unfortunately in the, in the real estate sense, because, 
Um, people don't, you know, you look at firstly New York, right? Where it shut down. You look at Beverly Hills in, in Los Angeles. I'm dealing with these places, <clears throat> Northeast, cold weather, high taxes, and low interest rates, okay? So a lot of these people are either cash buyers or, or leveraging, meaning financing, right? And <clears throat> the single family home market houses, single family home properties is hot. It's a seller's market in Miami, okay? If it's renovated and new, three or four bedrooms, it falls off the shelves, flies off the shelves. Now, on the condo side, which Miami's known for, you know, condomania, um, prices are down right now, okay? However, they're coming up a little bit too. It's a catch-22. So the market, if it, however, they're coming up if the unit's renovated and done. People and priced well, okay? But it's still a buyer's market to an extent in the condo market and in the, in the, in the, in the single family homes, it's a seller's market. So there's more, there's less supply, meaning in the seller, you know, there's less supply of homes, which drives price up. And the buyer's market or in the condo market, there's more supply of condos. However, that supply is being absorbed, meaning more and more people are buying at the low price, which then creates less supply and drives price up and people start to catch on that they have to put money into it to, you know? So in hindsight, just so many people are moving and even in the rental market, there's not that many options out there, you know, even in the lease market, you know, so uh, there's the markets doing well and maybe more and more people will decide to rent and create more leasing because of the fact in the condos, there's, you know, price are down. Some people don't want to take the loss, you know, because now it's right. Condo, right. Unless you bought it like 10 years ago or something, you're taking a loss or selling at a break even, which financial perspective doesn't make yeah. sense. But if you need the money, you're getting out. So that's what. Got it. So, so you're, so, so you also invest in, in, in real estate properties as well. How many are you looking at any um, investment decks well, right I now? Mean, like um, one thing I'm looking at, just like you know, is um, kind of multifamily, okay? And you have this idea of uh, meaning like you know four units or, or, or fourplex or you know five units, ten units, fifty. You know this kind of investment and single family home flips are two. Two of the best investments in Miami. We talk about making money, which is important. Um, I, I recommend these over the longer term or short term. I mean, single family home flipping, if you buy it at a great deal and you keep the uh, construction costs low, there's a nice margin for a new home again. Because remember, it's a seller's market again. If you, if you sell something and you put the money in and you understand what you're doing. On the multifamily building, where you're buying income generating investments. So in other words, you have five units paying you, let's say a certain amount of rent, you know, and then generating what's called a cap rate. Okay. Um, you're, you're able to buy uh, rehab and then hold for a while, you know, um, then just flipping these, these income generating assets, or you can, it just depends. Um, what your strategy is. I always believe with, with these uh, multifamily, I think it's more of a long-term strategy. It's not such a flip when you're buying multiple units because it's an, you know, you're essentially buying an existing building, 
that let's say there's people paying you, let's give an example, like, I don't know, $800, $900 rent, and then all of a sudden you put money into it, you buy it at a, at a, at a deal, a discount, you have a rehab cost, and then you essentially elevate the rent. So now these, these units now, the tenants leave, and now these units could be 30 to, you know, or, you know, 40% more rent. So you're getting 1200, 1300, sometimes in some cases double, you know, for that unit, if you really put money, depending on the, the level of renovation you do. So for that, I think it's more of a longer term hold because real estate always appreciates over time, specifically if it's, if it's, if it's an income generating investment. And that's what I think. And then the single family home, is a quick turnaround, usually a 12 to 18 month turnaround from start to finish. So you essentially acquire a property, takes you about six months, five to six months, depending on the work that needs to be done to build it and put it on the market. And it usually takes you about, you know, three months to sell it, depending on how, how you price it. If you price it really well and you know what you're doing, you could turn this around in six months fast. And usually flips should not be held longer than I'd say six to nine months from start to finish. It usually takes you about, you know, a, year, a month to close, you know, architectural permits and stuff like that, and you get into it, and then it, it typically takes you about four or five months to really do it right, put it on the market, advertise, and, you know, there you go. You flip it for a return based on what the market's getting. This sounds so, this just sounds like so much fun. It really does. So with the multifamily homes, you're right. Um, especially if you can get a clear piece of land and you're a developer yourself and you're a renovator, you can literally bust down on like six to eight units, depending on the size of land, charge a thousand dollars maybe per unit. And you're, you're, you're balling. I mean, depending on how much you bought, you know, the land for, and depending on how well you built the structure and how you market it, positioned it, you could really make a lot. And you're right, real estate is appreciating. It's not depreciating. Exactly. I mean, you know, when you look at condos and stuff like that, it, it just depends, you know. Um, condos is like buying a stock. It goes up, it goes down, and you just have to kind of know when to buy and when to sell. And that has to do with, I think, hiring good agents. Because I really believe, like, in, when you're buying and selling real estate, it's good to work with an agent who's good. Um, because they can really, you know, determine, uh, especially if you're not from here. Okay, maybe if you're from here, then you 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 bought in the market, you know. But even so, you know, you're able to know when to buy and to sell. It's like dealing with a broker if you're buying stocks or an advisor, right? They they understand whether it's the same thing. Like I think with condos, because it's it's um it's more like volatile. It's up and down, you know. Stocks. I mean, condos you know, kind of go up and down. If you buy something, you know, 10 years ago and you think it's going to be worth, you know, triple what you purchased, I think that's a far-fetched assumption. I think that if you buy 10 years ago, yeah, you got a good deal, but within five to seven years is always when the market takes another, you know, it spikes, you know? So you have to watch out for when the market's hot. When everyone's talking about how hot the market is, that's when you sell, not when you buy. It's like buying Bitcoin when everyone's talking about Bitcoin and everything and everyone and your mother, you know, is on the, is talking about how, you know, uh, I woke up and I made another two G's and forget it. Now is the time to freaking, you know, sell it if you bought, you know, at that point for the moment. And it's the same thing with, with condos, you know, when the market's hot, it's good to, you know, 
sell and get listings. When the market's down and, and people are not so, in, in prices are declining and all this, and you see, and it's a tough market or whatever, that's a buyer's market in the condos. And you, you kind of just have to know. However, <clears throat> single family homes is a little bit different. Right now on the super high end, let's talk about that for a second. I met with a, uh, a guy who's, who's uh, selling his house off market. He bought it for like a few years ago, like four years ago for like eight million, put like two million into it. And now he's getting offers at like 17 million. So like, You're kidding. So like, it's hot right now and like super high end. He's probably in it for like 11. He'll probably walk, you know, he, he walk away with a big return and put like two and a half million dollars into it. He held it for a while. So you have to account for, you know, property taxes over that term and anything else. But still, you know, people, if it's waterfront property and high end and it's, and it's renovated to the extent, people want that. People want that. And people from, you know, a lot of people from like New York, uh, super high end people from like uh, affluent from California, Boston, New Jersey, wherever. They're coming here specifically from the Northeast in these places for two reasons, uh, taxes and climate and lifestyle because the COVID. I mean, a lot of people are moving in out of New York right now for the moment because of what's going on. It's like you're trapped. Uh, you know, the, uh, our, um, you know, our governor is kind of has looser restrictions. So it stimulated business. I was in design district. I mean, their design district is doing extremely well. You know, I mean, you know, retail is not closed and the high end shops are kind of like, there's more brands coming in and, you know, Miami's growing. I, I look at Miami because it's, it's kind of its own element, but you know, there's a lot of reasons why people come, but it's taxes, climate, um, lifestyle, even price, you know, I mean, even, you know, you're able to get so much value for being here, you know, so people realize that if you're just wanting to live here and own, you're wanting to lease and work at, you know, of your, of your apartment. I have a client right now, he works for Apple, um, you know, and it's moving down here and, you know, just so many people in Silicon Valley or California, that's also tax reasons. And, you know, people are locked down in their apartments. So if they're in the freezing cold and in a place that's not exciting, they want to be here because you see, you have more scenery and so forth. So there's a lot of, a lot of reasons for that. So that's kind of cool. So because of the pandemic and we're not making light here, listeners of anybody that suffered loss or sickness because of this but that's pretty cool that you know people that work for apple and other tech companies and and startups and and even like you know established companies tech companies um that have their workers working from home in colder climates are like i don't want to you know after i'm sitting at my desk all day i don't want to walk out in the snow I want to walk out into something that's really, really warm. So they're migrating to Miami for the climate, like you said, for the lifestyle, because they're working all day on tech or IT or whatever it is that they're building or doing for those, you know, big companies. And they're like, okay, now I have no lifestyle. I have no social life because everything's locked down. And on top of that, it's cold. So <laughs> why not, if I'm going to work from home, work in a place that affords me the opportunity 
to go out and have a really nice lifestyle as well, get a, get a real good tan at the same time. I mean, no, Alejandra will not leave the pool. So I get it. Um, if take me, so say, mm-hmm. say I'm your client describe for our listeners. First of all, I have to ask you, do you do walkthroughs of your high end million dollar homes of your high end million dollar condos, all of that stuff? If you do, describe for our listeners what their walkthrough experience is like with you when you do decide to show a well, property. Yeah. I mean, like when we do it, like right now, I mean, we're doing a lot of walkthroughs, just like sometimes via uh, WhatsApp communication, or we do like, you know, drone video. Um, um, right now, just could be drone video. We, 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 had a, we had a big listing in Paraiso, this penthouse, and we're just doing, you know, during the pandemic and, and we, uh, you know, we do, we, we do drone, um, we do regular videos that we convert to YouTube and then we just advertise them in that way. Um, so, or, or just live virtual presentations where a lot of it has to do with WhatsApp. Um, I don't, I use more WhatsApp video because I don't use FaceTime. Um, but I mean, that's what we're doing. It's a lot of video. It's a lot of virtual, um, you know, if a, a lot of clients are buying things sight unseen, and if it's like a listing, we do we always do a drone video. We just do high resolution pictures. We have the digital team come in, and just take shots of, of the area. Um, there's a Matterport where you can kind of scan through different rooms. Um, I haven't been using that as much, but you know, sometimes on the bigger listings, when we get them, we, we will. You know, um, but but that's 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 mainly what's happening. You know, people. Especially in condos, there's always a floor plan. But people want to. One of the things we're also focusing on is just like the surrounding area, because a lot of people show like um, the inside of the unit, right, and the, and the views and everything that's obviously important. But then sometimes people don't really understand like where the you know the building is located, you know. So that's something that's like important. Um, and I like to do videos in that sense, and of course on social media and you know, flashing stories and so forth. But that's, that's important. And that's what we do when it comes to. Awesome. So, so tell me and tell our listeners, what should they look for as clients in a good realtor? Like if you were not a real estate, if, if you weren't in real estate at all at the level, especially that you are, but you wanted to buy something or sell something, what are some key things that a seller or a buyer should look for when they're looking for a really good real estate agent? I mean, well, I mean, first of all, like a a lot of it has to do with just effectiveness and communication. I mean, let's start there. I mean, you know, everyone could be on social media and everyone could, you know, post stories and have cool videos, but it really, you know, it comes down to reliability and communication and experience, you know. I feel like, you know, if you're going to hire a real estate agent to represent you, you want to have somebody who's experienced and you can kind of vet that by seeing their online presence or meeting with them. And a lot of the time you look at their listing presentation, what they sold, what they've done. But more than that, even if they sold 100 properties, it's, it's how they communicate, how they can you rely on that agent, you know. Because when you're dealing in a real estate transaction, you're dealing with somebody, you're going to need to talk to them, you know, or the top agents, and I'm kind of learning 
I'm not saying I'm the top, but you know, we're up and coming group and we've been doing it for a while. And what we've learned is it's about your team. And, you know, I don't have like a Peter Green team where I have a team that reports to me and so forth. I have associates and I have a team within my team, which means I have a contract coordinator, I have top attorneys and they're able to handle my transactions. You know, the job of a real estate agent is to simply bring a buyer and a seller together. And that's the thing that a lot of agents, the top teams communicate well because they have a contract coordinator. You know, they're not supposed to talk to your clients all the time. However, you have to be in contact and follow up after the fact and keep the relationship. But the way you respond and your effectiveness is, is, is key. And to be honest, like no one Asian can handle 20 deals alone. Okay. Or even very okay. hard. They have contract coordinators and people communicating on their behalf, assistance at this point, you know, showing agents, people, because if you have 20 or 100 you, you can't be everywhere at the same time, nor do you have time to deal with because there's so many nuances and things that come up in the transaction that can bog you down. And a lot of agents, you know, will, will tend to hover over one or two deals and kind of always be there at the beck and call of their, of their client. And there kind of has to be a fine line. But the level of communication comes from being able to delegate and contract teams. That's it. And I continue to learn that every day. You know, I, you know, uh, you know, as I said, like in the beginning of real estate, I was kind of, like I said, just running around and, and, and being everywhere, you know, and anywhere. And a lot of that is not structured. And there, there's a lot of things that, you, we, you know, we can we can talk about. But that whole idea about hiring somebody, what makes a great agent again is is the effect of communication. And I think the experience and reliability. That's it. So, and that's that, and and that's so spot on. And so, my question is: Should do you feel like real estate agents are kind of they're not attorneys, but they are mediators in a way, and they they go to bat for their clients, right? So, whether it's a buyer or a seller, so should the should the buyer and or the seller hound? should the buyer or the seller once the contract is there and it's like okay peter you're my agent i want to buy this and i'd like to sell that and i signed the contract with you tonight at that point should i be the one chasing you down and saying hey what's going on with my deal or should you be the one that says hey we got a lead how does that whole thing work so that there are no offenses or pet peeves or things held against the other for feeling like, Oh, Peter dropped the ball. Um, I'm over here doing all the real estate work. I'm, I'm actually going out looking for people to buy my stuff because I feel like Peter's not doing enough work on my project. Or you're saying this girl is calling me like every single day and she has no idea how hard well, I'm fighting I mean, for her. Know, I, I guess like, yeah, like I mean, the, the key is to be in communication with your clients to the extent that you can be and the extent that they need you for. Um, but it's like your fiduciary responsibility to, you know, guide them through the transaction, that is, you know, like, and, and kind of be a source of a, a communication. Um, but you don't need to talk to them every single day and call them 10 times a day, you know. Um, but then you shouldn't just disappear either once you get the listing or 
you know, talk to them only, you know, a few times um, unless you uh, have a contract coordinator and, and there's no need, you know, a lot of communication is via email too. So, I mean, is that what you're kind of getting at? Like how, what's the level of communication? How often should you? Yeah, I think that's really Yes, good. yes. Okay, got it. So what's the criteria for someone, Peter, to become your client? Like, is it having enough money to live their best life? Or do you consider other things? Or do you just take anybody? Well, I mean, right? it, it, it really has to do with like, I mean, I focus on certain areas. And, you know, I tend to deal with clients either who are living there or wanting to rent there or buy or invest. So, you know, it, it, you know I don't shun anyone off somebody to help him with a $1,200 rental. That was a referral. And I haven't, you know, done a $1,200 rental in, in, in 10 years. So I did entertain the conversation. I said, let me see if I can help you. I, you know, you, you delegate, you refer out, you know. I help somebody else, you know, I got a lead I can't handle. I mean, you just have to understand, like, you can't, you know, that's the other thing about real estate is that, you have to like, it kind of you know, dawned on me the other day, just in these last few weeks, is that you can't just take, you know, because we're making a lot of calls and, and, and dealing with sellers, you can't just take any listing. It has to make sense for you economically, time-wise. And if it doesn't, then you can refer it out. If somebody is in Kendall and you get a million-dollar lead in Kendall, if someone wants to list a home and they call you or you talk to them, it's like that's a lead. So maybe you can go find an agent in Kendall and get a referral fee, you know? So, so, so let's say you have a $3 million deal, but you can't do it and you refer it out. In Miami, what's your referral fee for something like that? Like how much in would you Miami make? For what? For, okay, so in Miami, it's usually a 25% referral fee. That's typically what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's good. If, if, if you refer out a client, like for instance, which actually, like, it depends because if you refer somebody out, I mean, you could demand up to fifty percent. But I personally think if somebody refers me business and they say I want fifty percent of your cut when they just gave you the lead and they're not really doing much work, um, because if you know, it, it depends. Like, here's here's like, new development. Like, say, for instance, like for new development let's say and you have a license um and you say you know i can't handle this client handle it i know he wants to buy in this building or like there's only two or three projects and it's and it's a, it's a new development deal where there's not much work to it then i think that 50 50 would make sense you know because you already know where the person you kind of vetted the client and it's a, it's a it's an easier transaction however if somebody sends you or sends me a client and says look you know this guy wants to buy a home uh, you know, uh, I'm in a different area, handle the guy, uh, you know, let me know what happens. I think he wants to buy in this range and, you know, you're going to have to work and show him options and he's not sure if, you know what I mean? You're spending time, you're hiring a contract coordinating team, you're taking on Green has been taking us to school on real estate, the mindset of a realtor, why it's important to have self-awareness, a leadership coach, all of those good things, buyer's market, seller's market. He's given us his backstory. 
He's told us about being fluent in Brazilian Portuguese, which helps him in the market in Miami. And, you know, everybody knows the song by Will Smith, um, Bienvenidos a Miami. Um, my favorite place ever. Um, been going there since I was three years old with my dad. And I was not hanging out in uh, $100 million homes or luxury like Peter's uh, bringing to the table unless I just don't remember it. Like I see pictures, but I was in like the Fountain Blue Hotel in like a chair when I was three. So <laughs> um, love it. Obviously fam here in Miami. Um, and um, I just love it. I love Miami. So I'm grateful for, for Peter. So Peter, I got some crazy questions for you now. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, Peter. You've seen these tiny homes and these container homes. So what are your thoughts on the future of the tiny homes and the container homes? When you say tiny, what do you mean? Like, just... okay. So like, you know, they're set They're They're like, Amazon is literally making tiny homes now. Like people can go on Amazon and buy a tiny home. They're like these tiny homes. And I know this is probably, maybe this is like some obscure uh, concept to you because you work so high end on the luxury end. But people are literally buying tiny homes. They're like super small, like maybe 255 square feet to 500 square feet. Um, and they're they're just they're already kind of prefab and they're just dropping them down on foundation somewhere in wherever they live. And then the other side, the container homes, people are literally getting like shipping containers and they are like there's youtube videos all over the place about how people are transforming shipping containers whether it's one or two or four put together um they're either doing it themselves and just gutting like like literally taking the 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 container or more than one depending on how big they want it and they're turning it into a home like a legitimate home and I was blown away. I was watching these YouTube videos like, okay, let's get some shipping containers because it just looks so cool. And I'm like, that's interesting. So I talked to some developers and they were actually trying to pass, get, get a law passed that would allow for those container homes and those tiny homes to be built on some, some blank land because so many people were getting them because they're cost efficient. Um, some of them you can even pick up and move and they're not like what people would think about like trailer homes or mobile homes or modular homes. They're not like that. Right. Um, I would say a tiny home might look like a miniature version of like a modular home in terms of how they set it up. But then there's this company, there are a couple companies where that's all they do. Like they saw that people were doing it on their own. And they created a company where they are now um, helping you to design before, like with an architect and everything, how you want your container home to look. All you need is a spot to drop it on. Right. And they will come and they will do it. So have you seen it at all? You know what I'm talking about now? I mean, not, not so much in Miami. Um, I guess, you know, you know, I, I you know, it's it's different here. You know, mainly what I see is just kind of uh, single family home. Just when you say 
container home do you mean like or, or you mean like a spec home is what you're meaning or what no like you know how like if you go to like the shipyard here right miami and the, you know the shipping containers like you go to the dot you know what a shipping container looks like like the the tin aluminum i don't know metal the metal that it's made out of the shipyard right like like fort pierce for example you know there's how the how the uh shipping containers look that they ship like different things in from either the military shipping in food or they're shipping in something but it has to come by boat yes so they're taking those metal containers literally and they are creating homes out of them so for example my little cousin she owns her own she has her own foundation and she got the idea at seven to create a container I mean, a, a mobile library. And so she got her parents to find her a shipping container. And they basically got the shipping container, cut out windows, painted the inside, painted the outside, put wood flooring down. And now people have a place to go who didn't have access to books. So in that same vein, people have gone out now and started creating actual homes. Some of them are like, I'm going to live here. And other ones are, this is going to be a home office for me. Or this is going to be um, just a chill spot in, in, in my backyard. So I might have a $2 million home in the front. And I might have probably maybe half an acre maybe two thirds of an acre in the back. If you're talking suburbia, Miami, I might have enough land to drop two shipping containers. And I'll just use that as like an outdoor party area. Um, if I got some guests that I really don't want to live in my home or, or they're coming to visit or it's just too many people and I don't have enough space or maybe even like with the whole COVID thing. Um, sure. You can come visit grandpa, but I don't want to give you something if I'm carrying it and I'm a host and I don't know. So you can stay out back in the container home. You know, it's out by the pool. I mean, they're really like turning them into like livable spaces, livable and workable spaces. So I just thought maybe you saw that. And I was like, I wonder what his idea about that whole thing is. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I'm not that familiar with it. So that's not kind of my forte, um, but it sounds interesting. Yeah, you got to look into it. You really, really got to look into it because um, it trip. it's a trip. It tripped me out. Um, it, it made me think of you. And I was like, I have to show this to Peter at some point um, because it just it just was next level in the sense that people said a lot of the people said, you know, I want to downsize. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to sell my big home necessarily or I am. And I just want to downsize. Like it's um, some people are, are are our age. Some people are younger. Some people are extremely like way past retirement, and they're like, I don't need all this space. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do a container home. So so yeah, I'll make sure that you get that because you have to check that out. Um, what does it feel like, Peter, to close on a multi million dollar deal? Like, what do you do after you close? on something that large to pat yourself on the back, which I think is absolutely appropriate and okay, especially if you've worked your butt off. What do you do for self-care in such a fast-paced environment 
and can be stressful as well. What does Peter do after a big win to wind down or to celebrate? Well, I mean, you know, you know, you know, when I was younger, I used to just, you know, always want to, you know, celebrate the, you know, the, that transaction. If I close the big deal, go out, party or, you know, whatever, bottles and big dinners and stuff like that, um, you know, for, you know, the accomplishment. But nowadays, like, you know, particularly like I, I believe, you know, it, it's a more like uh, laid back. I, I mean, maybe I'll buy myself a gift or go out for a lunch or, you know, do something. But remember, this is our job. You know, I mean, uh, we're supposed to close deals. And, you know, I, I kind of like I'm not celebrating as much when I do things because unless it's something so big, you know, um, I just, you know, my goal is to be consistent, keep it, you know, keep yourself humble, keep yourself grounded, because if you get so excited when you close a big deal, you're just going to come down so much sometimes when you don't close that deal and things go wrong, right? Which a lot of times in real estate, you're not in control of things sometimes, specifically if you're a real estate agent. If you're an investor in something, you have a little bit more control. Um, but so... I try not to, and that's one of the things I learned from my coaches, but you do need to celebrate. You need to maybe do something, you know, whether it's take my parents out or I had a girlfriend, take her out, or if it's, you know, just uh, go out with an associate or, or maybe buy something, treat yourself to something that you wouldn't have maybe sometimes. Um, but again, that idea of just never too up, never too down, um, is goes back to that idea about the mindset and, and, and being able to not being attached to the outcome, you know? Oh man. Say that one more time. I love that. Not being attached to the outcome. Can you break that down, please? Well, like, you know, it's like, you know, it's, that's the thing. It's like not being too attached to the outcome because often when people are confronted with deals that would impact them in a positive or negative way, they get too attached to the outcome. And, you know, the whole, you know, everything that goes into it rather than focusing on getting it done, being positive and, and, and doing what it takes to, you know, kind of keep that even kill, uh, mentality, you know, and it takes time and it takes work and it's not easy. And, you know, every day we're trying to work on that, you know, because, you know, uh, business and real estate, there's a lot of ups and downs in one minute, you could be celebrating or, or excited and then the next minute something goes wrong and you're dealing with that or five things go wrong or five things go well or nothing goes well and you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, however, if you're consistent, you hit structure, you put the work in as a real estate person or even as an investor or anybody and you don't dwell on the outcome of that big investment or that big return or that big commission um, or that big listing or whatever, and you go after it because that could be the goal or part of the goal, but, you know, it's kind of like that balance, you know, and that's how I, 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 I focus on things. I like that. Balance is bliss to me. Um, it keeps you humble too. Um, so Peter, I know this, but the audience doesn't. You're an avid tennis player. 
Mm-hmm. Um, how long have you been playing tennis? Have you ever played competitively? And is that one of your ways to incorporate wellness into your lifestyle, but also one of your ways to de-stress if you're ever having a stressful day? Um, how do, you know, how did I get into, te- or, or, you know, or, or what has tennis impacted me? I mean, I got into tennis firstly, um, you know, I've been playing tennis since I was 13 years old. I played tournaments, I played college tennis, I played competitive tennis. And um, I try to play at least, you know, twice a week, um, if possible. Sometimes, you know, with my days, uh, I could probably play more. But um, uh, it, it's just a great stress reliever because it really takes your mind off of what you're doing. And and it's it's cardio, it's, it's fun, you're running around. I love tennis, you know, I played, I... I'm an avid fan. I, I I work sometimes with the ATP. Uh, I'm involved in some stuff right now. Um, ATP, for people who don't know, the WTA is the professional tennis you see on TV. So so uh, <clears throat> I deal with sometimes coaches or players or affiliates or tennis enthusiasts or people trying to be a part of it. Um, as I was a player, and it's just a it's a great it's a great sport. You know, I just, just, you know, it's a, it's, 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 it's a mental game. You know, it's, it's a great strategy. It's just, there's a lot of things that go into it, and I just, you know, I grew up playing it. I, you know, I played some, some uh, kind of semi-pro men's open tournaments. I've, I played ITF junior world tournaments. Played uh, nationals, lower level nationals, and college national championships. So, you know, I had a lot of experience in it. It's just, it's part of my life. Tennis is a big part of my life. So I I played tennis since I was 12. Um, but oh. I felt, but I fell off. So I'm going to get you to restring my racket and, and sign up for some lessons there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I, my dad, um, um, I don't, I want to say he made me, he just, you know, came in and was like, you're going to take ex- ex- extensive tennis lessons that and golf so (laughs) um that's what happened I kept the golf up and then I I, someone stole um a really sentimental racket that my father gave me before he passed away and I think that that really hurt me and I I didn't I I never went back out seriously like I, I played around but um to your level no I I just kind of was like uh well I have this old racket here from like a kid that's hanging in like a frame, but the the strings are all messed up. And it's because, um, cause I was like, why does he want me to play tennis? I don't understand. And then later I found out that my father, um, graduated from high school with Althea Gibson. And for the listeners who don't know who Althea Gibson is, Althea Gibson um, was the first African-American Wimbledon, Wimbledon can't even say that word now, <laughs> Wimbledon tennis um, player winner, um, as well as um, LPGA. So Google her for the listeners who don't know who Althea Gibson is, because um, you guys are going to start, you know, sharing all types of stuff coming up um, this year um, when February rolls around for Black History Month. There you go. And so that's why my dad wanted me to play tennis um, because he was friends with her and I didn't know it. Um, 
so yeah anything else um peter that you do for self-care like how because you're traveling all over the world because you guys are like turkey argentina you're italy you're everywhere when it comes to deals um brazil obviously but if you take out work travel do you enjoy traveling to other places where you're just chilling and you're not focused on a deal i mean you know definitely like you know um not much in the last 10 months i'll be honest with you with covid uh i haven't really done anything except pretty much work i have my family here in miami so um you know as you know i kind of attend to them um, because they're, they're both close by and they live in different places but um if i'm not in in miami i could be in new york i could be in brazil uh, i can be in london i have a good friend in cambridge um, where you know i take some time off brazil of course is so i've been there over like 40 times i mean I, i'm like a brazil 40 times i would say i mean you know since 2000 i've been going to brazil for, since i was since like in the last uh 19 years and i've gone sometimes two or three times so you do the math maybe more sometimes less maybe around 35 i don't know sometimes i've gone like twice a year so one year i went three times um so i've been a lot i've been a lot maybe maybe like 35 40 yeah i've been a lot of times in brazil i've lived there i for a short period of time i've spent vacations there i've hung out i've been christmases and you know I've done. I've been there for business, and I, I personally love enjoying it more than actually working there. Right, but right. I have a great time working there in this last time when I was because it was like kind of it was like a dream. It really was a dream that that came true for a short amount of time. Um, and basically, I'll, I'll I'll tell you, and I'll I'll just keep it short because I know I could you know go off on tangents, but I'll tell you like I always wanted to work in Brazil. Um, on a, you know, and, and, and do something where, you know, it was, I was like an expat paid a high, high level salary. <laughs> I'm saying it's like have real responsibilities. Right. Right. Just, just work and, and work with exciting people and in a, in a, in a serious structured environment where I had a real schedule and, you know, I was conducting meetings and presentations and, you know, trying to implement different marketing strategies and, it just like it just every day I just kind of woke up excited to go to work, excited to, you know, just, you know, uh, try to sell this project. And it was not easy. And but to me, I was in the place I wanted to be was getting paid well for that short amount of time uh, as a, you know, kind of like as a manager director of this kind of sales uh, stand uh, kind of uh, operation in Brazil. It was, you know, and it just, it was amazing. I, I, uh, I worked a lot. Uh, I, I played tennis. I, I met my, my friends when I wasn't working, went to nice restaurants, no parties or anything much, maybe once or twice for a birthday party. But it wasn't, it was a time just to focus. It, it was amazing. It was last year before COVID. Uh, and that was my last experience. But to tell you about deals, I've, you know, not I mean, that I don't focus on, you know, Europe or, you know, I, I, I don't travel that much. I go to New York, so I'm from there. So that's that's basically what it comes down to. What part of New York are you from, Peter? Uh, Gramercy Park uh, in uh, downtown Manhattan. 
Yeah, one of the hottest places, one of my favorite places. So can you, so I know this story, um, but I want you to tell it because <laughs> I just, I just want you to tell it. So, so Peter's holding back. Peter is super hum- humble. Um, Peter is a salesman, but he's not the typical salesman. And, and I, by that, I, I don't mean that in a negative way towards anyone. He just has a unique gift to be able to sell and influence buyers in a way that is authentic, that doesn't come off as pushy, right? But when Peter wants something, Peter gets it. And going back to the fact that he can close deals in Brazilian Portuguese, and he talked about how he majored in it, but he didn't tell you the dictionary story. So, Peter, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to let you tell the audience about the dictionary story. Well, yeah, like when I was, you know, it goes back to that whole idea about passion and and really wanting to to learn something. And, you know, it's kind of like um, the, I never found myself to be good with languages. And, you know, I, I immersed myself only for a short amount of time in Brazil. Uh, and then uh, when I was in Brazil, um, I was I was learning Portuguese, but and I was in an internship. But what I would do is when I would I, I would carry a small dictionary around, and I would essentially just ask people if I didn't understand something, what was that word? I'd look it up, and I I just kind of like taught myself. I'd read books and like always read with a dictionary next to me, so which would help me understand like you know the comprehension of the book or just like understand words. And I would literally carry this dictionary around whether I'm home or out I could be out somewhere I could be at a party and I'd, it's at some point at some it's, it's not to that extreme but almost yes and I had like this it was kind of a small dictionary that I could when people were talking about like, oh shit what did you say or you know what was that word and I'd look it up or I don't know it was just like you know to that level and I started to become fluent Whatever you want to do, you know, you you know, if it's something that's hard, and you know, uh, you know, a, a, a person American from New York City, all of a sudden being able to speak fluent in, in in a language without living there or having background from that country, really requires a lot of work and 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 focus and and work, you know, and just kind of kind of going the distance. That's what I did, and that that's some serious dedication. I mean, picture it. Peter is walking around. He's so dedicated to learning Portuguese that he's going from his house to the market to maybe a small frat party, maybe a not a frat party, some small party. And he's walking around with a dictionary. Um, And I hope that some of my former students are listening to this podcast and you hear the dedication. When you really want to learn a new language, when you want to learn anything, you will find a way. I just have never heard of anyone walking around um, with a dictionary and, and hearing the the language and then knowing how to pick the dictionary up, open it, and find the word. So what you're hearing with Peter's episode is that no matter what your career is, you have to be a lifelong learner. You have to continue learning. You never really arrive, Right. So you have to work on self-development. You have to work on um, leadership and balancing your life and just knowing when to 
pull back and knowing when to push forward. And like he said, I've never heard a real estate agent tell me that they had a coach. And and I mean like a life coach, leadership coach, development coach like um, to help keep them balanced. And yet, Peter, you do. Yeah, it's more of like a, he's not like a life coach per se. He's just an investment real estate coach. That's what he is. He, you know, he just, he's an investment coach. He's a coach. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, life lessons, but not really. I mean, we pretty much straight to straight to real estate every time. What do you want? What are you doing? But, you know, focusing on expires, what's your online, offline, you know, it, and it comes down to just, and he also is a business coach. So I think, you know, in any industry you can apply it. And, and I, and I think that that's, that's helped me specifically, um, you know, during COVID or non COVID, you know, whatever, it just, it, it's a good thing. And I, I strongly recommend it for people, uh, to do that is the guy's name is Mike Husson. He's a sports psychologist. He worked with Pete Sampras and, uh, you know, some, some top athletes and, and, and top business people. And, uh, I just think it's always good to have, uh, if you can. Okay. Awesome. So if people are interested in investing in property in Miami, renting, leasing, or buying property in Miami, from a different location because we have over 21 countries now that are listening um, to this podcast on several platforms. If they want to do business um, with you in Miami, how do they get in touch with you? Well, yeah, I mean, you could, you could DM me on um, Peter Green real estate uh, on Instagram. I um, I'm on Instagram. You can, you can follow me on LinkedIn um, or you can you can reach out to me on uh, on WhatsApp or you know email, um, whatever way you feel comfortable with. You know we have a group, um, we uh, we have a solid group like over fifty years experience. So, but that's how you can get contact with me either Instagram if you if that's the way or you know my information. You can, can pass out my uh, my my sailor or uh, WhatsApp um, or you know you can find me on uh, Fortune International Realty. Um, P Green at FIR.com, you know, Peter Green. So, you know, and, and these methods of, you know, I'm very um, responsive. Awesome. So, Peter, what is your favorite Brazilian food? Then now you're in the zinger question. I love uh, picanha, steak. I'm a steak. Pe- steak guy. Okay. What is the one thing that you do not have that if you could get it tomorrow, you would, you would totally get it. What I could totally get, um, in Brazil, anywhere in the world, the one thing that you do not possess that you, that you do not have in your possession that you, if you found out you could totally score it tomorrow, you would be all over it. I would, I'd love to have an. I'd have, to have a nice apartment in São Paulo at Fasano. <laughs> this. Bill- oh, that. But that's easy for you. This has to be something that's super hard. But that I'll take that. That's easy oh, for you. You can do that. You can do that with your eyes closed. That I, you know, that, that's super hard that I can get. Well, you know, it, that's a that's a great question. I mean, I don't. And I'm I, laughing, you guys that are listening, because Peter's Peter's saying it's a, it's a super good 
or a hard question or good question because he's that good at what he does that there isn't anything that he doesn't, doesn't have. I mean- not have, but like there isn't really honestly, there's not anything that Peter probably can't if he says tomorrow I want a red crayon, he's gonna and there are no more red crayons because everyone decided to go buy them like Lysol during COVID. I mean, if I, Peter's gonna find a way to have a red crayon. That's what I'm saying. Right. I mean, you know, it's you know, for me, like if it has to do with real estate, it would be maybe something if I can make something happen, like an investment building. Uh, we're looking at this year, I don't have that yet. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm happy to have my family here. I don't know what to say. I mean, there's, I mean, it's, uh, I, I'd wish that if I could, if I could, if I could travel and visit some people in other countries, but right now it's just restrictions and COVID I won't. So I don't know for the moment, I just kind of stay put and, and, uh, uh, what would you have right now? If you could have anything right now tomorrow, I would be in Bora Bora. Okay. Nice. <laughs> Bali, I, I would literally be on a tropical island um, that's really warm with maybe a book, some chill music, some great food, great company, and doing absolutely nothing. That's what I would have. <laughs> but because of COVID, that's not going to happen anytime soon. But I can promise you, as soon as we break free, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, makes sense, you know. <laughs> Yeah, totally makes sense. So in closing, Peter, do you think it's important? Is reading important for you? And if so, what's one of the books that has been the most impactful book on your life, whether it's about real estate or it's helped you with real estate or just life in general? Well, I mean, right now I'm actually, uh, you know, I just finished a book and I'm reading another book, but one book that uh, probably a lot of people are familiar with is called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by uh, David Kiyosaki. Uh, and it just, you know, the, the, the moral of the story is that um, it's, it's really how you go about your life if you want to accumulate wealth and, 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 and understanding uh, the formula. And, and, and to break it down simply, it's is, is, is focusing on things that will generate you income and focusing less than on liabilities, meaning things that just cost you money, but never really bring you anything, except maybe an image or that's nice, but it, it's a short-term uh, pleasure where it doesn't give you any income. And then keeping your expenses, you know, so it, it really, this whole idea about just, you know, getting better at finances and just what you're doing with your job, your life, you know, it's a great book. Um, I'm also reading this book right now uh, by uh, Tim Grover, which is called um, uh, Relentless, and it talks about sports figures and stuff like that. Some of these motivational books that are just good stories, some of these books that are just core finance and understanding more um, economics and so forth. That's all. And that's awesome. 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 So we're going to do a walkthrough tomorrow, just so you know, get up really early. Um, I'll be there and we'll do a walkthrough of one of those uh, $100 million things you got going on there. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, is there anything you want to share um, in closing, Peter, with anybody that's um, confused about real estate, um, want to bust into the investment side of, the, of it? Um, oh, that's one thing I didn't ask you. Um, 
How do you feel about commercial deals? Are you working on any commercial things after the one hotel, things like that? Uh, commercial deals? I mean, um, a little bit. Like, I mean, I don't focus more uh, so much on commercial deals. Um, uh, I focus um, on maybe leasing. Like right now we're dealing with a client who wants to lease a place. So um, I, they want to do like, they want to lease a space and design their sick leasing. So we're starting to get involved in that. But I, I, I try to keep the focus of more residential right now because that's what I do and that's what I know. Um, and that's, so I mean, you know, that's, that's the extent of what I do. Awesome. So basically what I've gleaned from this conversation, because I, I like to listen and I like to learn, is that um, it's a buyer's and a seller's market right now. Um, it's kind of like going back to what, what COVID has done. It's kind of like going back to what started Peter on his journey in 2008. So you just have to be smart about what you buy, what you sell, and you have to have a good agent like Peter Green. So thank you so much, Peter, for giving us your time. I know how valuable your time is to you. And this segment um, in your episode is the cool down and uh, the, the laid back version and so I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful to your company um, and, and, your, and your family for, for everything that they've done for you, which now obviously benefits all of us. And um, I look forward to shadowing you uh, for about a couple months and seeing what I can do and busting out my real estate license. Like, hey, I got it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Definitely. You know, anything, any questions, always feel free to reach out. And again, I appreciate the time tonight and, and the interview and, um, you know, um, just have a great weekend. And, um, you know, I look forward to uh, seeing you in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Peter. I appreciate you. And definitely we will be in okay, touch. Have a good evening. Thanks so much. Take care. You're